teaching is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church in Burbank, California. We trust that this recording will be a benefit to you and will be a challenge to your Christian faith and walk. For more information about Calvary Bible Church, see our website at calvarybiblechurch.org or call us at 818-556-4840. Magadan umaga. I think I said good morning and uh, how are you doing? But I bring you greetings from our brothers and sisters in the Philippines. Our short-term mission trip returned earlier this week and uh, some of us are still adjusting to this time zone, including myself. Uh, I got up at 2 this morning and uh, couldn't get back to sleep. So if I start nodding off, if any of you, you know, want to throw something at me or whatever to... Now, some of you have asked, you know, why are you dressed so casual this morning, Tim? <clears throat> Actually, I'm not. This is formal wear in the Philippines. This is a barong, and it was one of my souvenirs I brought back and thought I would wear in, in honor of our trip out there. The 11 of us who went were greatly blessed by our time. Uh, we were tremendously encouraged, and I think the Lord used us as an encouragement as well. In fact, I wanted to share with you an email that I received uh, back from Pastor E.J., who is one of the uh, key leaders that we met and in involved there in the churches and ministries that we participated in. He's the one standing next to me. You can see I choose to stand next to the shorter people so I don't look <laughs> as short. So, and actually the guy next to him, Reggie, is I think going to be visiting us on Easter Sunday. So uh, if you see him, you can welcome him. But this is what Pastor EJ said uh, regarding our trip. Dear Pastor Tim, again, thank you. For all the effort, love, fellowship, music, and quality teaching you've shared with us, you've given us an example of how we can help other churches here in the Philippines. We pray you've been equally blessed by your fellowship and interaction with all of us here. Please thank everyone in your church for allowing and supporting you all in coming here and sharing your love to us and the Church of Christ. Your labor of love has blessed us tremendously. We pray the Lord of the harvest will continue to give you the desire an opportunity to build up his church throughout the world, your co-worker in Christ. And so I would like to extend uh, that thanks from Pastor EJ and those we were there with to you. We really appreciate uh, all the prayer. Uh, we appreciate the financial support. Uh, we appreciate just the opportunity that you gave us to go and serve there. It was really a ministry from us all uh, to those who were there in the Philippines. And I thought this morning, before we dive back into Ephesians, that we would uh, spend uh, some time and just I wanted to share with you how the trip impacted me and some of the things that I thought about and reflected on. But before we do that, there's a few announcements regarding our own church body I wanted to let you know about. One is that tonight, again, our missionary Brian Biedebach is going to be speaking in the great room. Uh, he's going to be actually speaking for uh, the whole month, I believe, on Sunday nights. So he's going to be there at 6 p.m. Uh, you want to make sure to be a part of that. Also, our annual business meeting will be right after second service today. Um, it will give an opportunity to share with you uh, our financial situation, uh, our budget, and then also field any questions you might have. And, and bring some questions. Lou really likes questions, so come with some good stumpers for him, all right? Um, that'll be right after second service today. Also, too, our foundations class, we're going to have a, a new class starting on February 17th, which is next Sunday. Um, so sign up at the Hospitality Center. And some of you, uh, you know, we mentioned Hospitality Center a lot. Some of you are still thinking, well, where is that place? Um, we're going to get some signs, hopefully, to make it more apparent. But it's the, if you come into the new building and go through the main doors, it's the little booth area right to the left. So that's the place where we have all our, we have resources, where sign-ups and things like that. So for Foundations class, if you're interested, that is something that we go over the key doctrines of the faith, and it's a great opportunity to be refreshed or to learn anew uh, the truths from Scripture. Uh, that again begins next Sunday. And also, too, I want to let you know about, we have a resource online. Uh, if, if you've gone on our website and looked at our sermons, usually right next to them you'll see a sermon application file. Uh, that's just several questions that uh, someone in our body has been very faithful to put together as, uh, in, in connection to the sermon. So if you're involved in Bible study or for your own personal edification, uh, you want to have something to work on during the week, during a quiet time, uh, feel free to pull that off of the website and you can use that. 
Also, too, just want to remind you um, to continue to be in prayer for uh, the many in our body who are not feeling well. It just seems like the last several weeks there's been uh, a lot of health issues, particularly among our older saints. So make sure to be praying for them. And with that, let us go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, uh, again, we come to you with, with grateful hearts. And you have sustained us this week and brought us back together. Thank you for bringing those of us who went to the Philippines back here safely. And Lord, for all that you taught us and showed us while we were there. I thank you, Lord, that uh, your word is going forth all over the world. And that, God, uh, many are coming to know you through the faithful proclamation of your truth. And just continue to want to pray for our brothers and sisters in the Philippines. And, God, you would strengthen them, particularly Pastor EJ and the other leaders who are... Uh, Lord, working so hard to, uh, Lord, build up your your sheep there and to uh, spread your gospel. Pray now, Lord, as we look to your word, that you, God, would speak to us through your spirit. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Well, many people have asked me, you know, how, how did the trip go? Uh, uh, what did you experience? And I thought the, the words I would use to describe it um, would be encouraging, challenging, Tiring, eye-opening, humbling. Um, I think the whole team would say the trip was worth it. Right, Sean? It's it worth going, brother. Uh, we were very busy. We were involved in a lot of different things, uh, from conducting a, a conference for leaders there from some of the churches, to pastor training, to putting on a VBS, to uh, doing some gospel presentations in a public school there. We ran a basketball outreach they wouldn't let me participate in that, though. You know, they just they didn't want any ringers in there. Um, we ran uh, also various, we participated in various ministries to the poor that some of the churches were involved in there. And God taught us a lot when we were there. Um, we're going to hear from the whole missions team in a couple of weeks, I think, and they'll share their experiences. But I wanted to share with you this morning some reflections that I had, some things that I took away from as I spent time there, as I thought about it on our flight back home, our long flight back home, um, we were invited to go there by Sean and Jessica Ransom. They are missionaries that, that we support uh, from this church. Um, Sean oversees what's called the Expositors Academy, which is a, really provides seminary-level education to pastors there uh, several different locations across the Philippines. And, and it's done because it's so expensive to come here and, and also some of the uh, seminaries that they may have been involved with uh, weren't able to adequately prepare them or sometimes they just want to come and be re-equipped and, and, re- and kindled afresh and spend time with one another. So Sean coordinates these various uh, uh, sessions, training sessions around the Philippines. I had the privilege of teaching uh, two theology modules for the academy on the island of Boracay. Um, these were some of the men that were there. Not all of them were available for the picture, but uh, there were about 40 pastors that came from all over the place to, to this training session. And it was really an honor for me to get to know them and spend time with them. And what I saw when I was there, when I met with these men, were men that were focused. They were focused on their calling. They were fixed on what really mattered. I met men who were concentrated on what was really important. They were on a mission. And though I was brought there to teach them, really they taught me. Uh, I I learned a lot from them, from their example, from their testimony. It really challenged me to consider where is my focus at? And it challenged me to think about where is our focus at as a church, as a body of believers here in Burbank. And as I thought about my experiences with these men and the things we shared and talked about, the letter, Paul's letter to 2 Timothy to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy, came to my mind. Because in that letter, Paul expressed various things that I was thinking about, things that I wanted to express from my own heart. So please turn with me to Second Timothy. We'll be reading from a few verses there in that letter. This was Paul's last letter in the New Testament, his last letter that we have recorded to Timothy. It's a very sobering letter. He writes it as he sits in a cold jail cell. Uh, likely imprisoned from Nero's persecution. He realizes death is near. As he says in 2 Timothy 4, 6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul has a sense of urgency throughout the letter. 
not just because he knows death is near, but also because of the circumstances and situations which Timothy faces. John David earlier read a key verse from the letter, 2 Timothy 3.1, which said, But realize this, that in these, last difficult, in these last days, difficult times will come. That word difficult really is the idea of dangerous, fierce, savage. Dangerous days are ahead, Timothy. And Paul, it seems, uh, as he's describing these things, that, that those difficult days had already arrived for him. As he, you go through the letter, he talks about the persecution he faced, the rise of false teachers, the people who abandoned him, people who abandoned the faith altogether, those whom he had served with. Opposition to the gospel, he talks a lot about that. He, he describes and discusses the refusal of many to hear the truth, wickedness abounding. In many ways, this letter actually is a discouraging letter. Uh, it's a troubling letter. Because Paul's saying, Timothy, it's bad right now, but it's going to get worse. You think you've suffered persecution at this point. It's only going to get harder. There's going to be people who will continue to reject the gospel. People who will persecute you for it. I'm, I'm near death and I'm alone. If you want to hear the truth, you're going to face opposition. You're going to face hardship. More evil men will come consumed with their own wickedness. They will refuse to listen to the word. They will refuse to listen to you. Not exactly an uplifting letter for somebody who's already faced many challenges in the ministry. And brothers and sisters, I don't have to tell you that we are in those days that Paul talked about. It has proceeded from bad to worse. And that list of characteristics that Paul gives of those in in verses 2 through 9 in chapter 3 That list of people who are lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, and so on. That's our culture today. Verse 5 is particularly troubling as it describes those who hold to a form or an outward appearance of godliness, but they've denied its power. Meaning there's many that that speak the words and and look a certain way, but but inside they are not those who are reliant on the truth. That describes our day. People have this outward appearance of being religious, of being good and caring, of of claiming to know God, and yet all the while endorsing immorality, the murder of the unborn, lying, deception, euthanasia, and a host of other evils. The end of verse 4 also is a perfect description of our culture, where Paul says they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. God of America is hedonism. God of today is the love of pleasure, catering to the senses. Again, just consider how much money and effort and time and resources is put into things in this country such as entertainment, food, sports, travel, sex, recreation, pleasures of all kinds. And it seems like the goal of life here in our country is comfort and ease and possessions. That, that you've reached the pinnacle, that, that the goal in your life needs to be that find that place where there's no trouble, no hurts, no worries, you're comfortable, everything is good. It's a mentality that I'm sad to say has crept into the church. So Paul's final letter to Timothy isn't just uh, to a pastor who's losing a mentor and a friend and a father figure. It's really a letter that speaks to us as well. We face the same things that Timothy faced. And though this letter from Paul is is disheartening and discouraging in a lot of ways, it's also encouraging because in it, Paul reminds us where our focus needs to be in it. And his exhortation to Timothy helps us to see what do we need to stay fixed on? What do we need to be reminded of? What do we need to rely on and trust in in these last dangerous days? While I was in the Philippines, I became burdened. Burden in regards to my own life. Burden in regards to our church. Just that we don't get distracted by the comforts of the world. That we don't get shy. That we don't shy away from the persecution that exists in this world. That we don't get sucked into the vices that this world has to offer. And I was reminded there of what was important in life. As I saw the war for souls firsthand. Men on the front lines who sacrificed everything in order to share the gospel, in order to proclaim truth. In that time, I was reminded of what we are here to do. So I wanted this morning to share with you three anchors 
that you need to rely on in the midst of these difficult days. Three truths that we must hold on to as we face a culture that is abandoning God systematically. That's replacing Him with the gods of pleasure and and comfort and humanism. The first truth we need to rely on, the the first anchor that we need to, to hold on to is to remember the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Acts 16, 1 tells us that Timothy, um, his mother was a Jewish believer and his grandmother was also a follower of Christ and that his father, though, was an unbelieving Gentile. So Paul, in a lot of ways, became a spiritual father to Timothy and, and described Timothy here in this letter as his beloved son and, and, and the first Timothy as his true child in the faith. Timothy's seen often with Paul in Acts, serving in many different areas. Uh, he's mentioned numerous times in Paul's various letters and the impact and the involvement that he's had in the ministry. And Paul here talks about Timothy and, and seeks to encourage him because in this last letter, it seems like Timothy was wavering. Timothy was struggling in the ministry. Look at what Paul says to him in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with the holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. We see here, the demands of ministry had taken their toll on Timothy. The, the threat of persecution, the, the thought of possibly after to, having to suffer the same thing Paul was suffering seems to have led Timothy to, to waver. And so Paul exhorts him here to take courage, be bold, do not be ashamed, be willing to suffer for the gospel. And notice what Paul says about the gospel in verse 10, that through it Christ Jesus abolished death, that he brought eternal life and immortality to light through the gospel. These are such important words for us to be reminded of as well today in our day, that the message that Jesus, our King, the Jesus, the God of the universe, who gave his life on a cross as a perfect and only substitute for sin, and that he rose from the dead and is now judge and savior of the world. That message, that good news, that gospel has power. That gospel is able to save. Jesus de- Paul declares here that Jesus' death and resurrection abolish death. That word means to, to render powerless, to make ineffective, to put to an end, to wipe out. Without Christ, the death, death was the doorway to what? Judgment. But with Christ, death is an entrance to heaven. Satan can no longer hold death over us as a threat. Without Christ, death was a scary proposition because there was no hope. Hebrews 4.12, or 2.14, excuse me. Hebrews 2.14 says this, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that is Jesus, likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless, same word therefore, abolish, Render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Satan had a foothold over us. He had the power of eternity over us because in death we would enter into hell without Christ. But Christ, through his death and resurrection, rendered our enemy, our greatest enemy, powerless. Not only was death abolished, but Satan and his power over us through death was rendered ineffective. And not only that, Romans 6.6 6 says a, another thing that was rendered powerless, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Again, the same word abolished, made ineffective, made powerless. 
so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Think about that, brothers and sisters. The power of the gospel through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ rendered powerless death, rendered powerless Satan, rendered powerless sin in our lives. We're no longer enslaved to sin. Paul talked about that in Ephesians. Back in Ephesians 2.1, you know that passage. And you were what? To transgression. You were dead in sin. Goes on to say, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's the description of us as enslaved to sin and Satan in the world. But then we remember verse 4, right? But God, being rich in mercy, with the great love with which He loved us, made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. The gospel is the great liberator. It is the freer of, gives us freedom from bondage to sin and Satan and death. Amen? And in the midst of a world that's running hard after pleasure, that is seeking relief and comfort and money and possessions, drugs, finding meaning and success or fame or relationships, they think that these are the things that are going to bring release and comfort. These are the things that are going to give me escape from my troubles in life. No, they're not. They're going to bind you. They're going to enslave you. Only the gospel gives freedom. There's only one key to those handcuffs that are chained on us, and that is called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's power in that. There's no other key that will unlock them. There's nothing else that will bring deliverance. And you and I have the message to free them. We're holding the key. We have the key, brothers and sisters. The declaration that there is a Savior who can deliver from sin. That there is a Lord who can release us from captivity. You guys have experienced that power in your own life, have you not? What God has done in transforming your own hearts. And there's, there's no power in any other message. There's no freedom in any other person. As Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. He alone is the one that can bring deliverance Only through Jesus can we have a relationship with God. Only through Him, only through the gospel, are we freed from sin and Satan. Only the cross can remove the burden and penalty of sin. And we can't shy away from this message. We can't lose confidence in its power to transform. We can't rely on anything else to save. Brock encouraged us last week from Matthew 5 to be salt and light. A good reminder, important reminder. And we need to remember that being salt and light is not just in our actions. It's not just in what we do, but also in what we proclaim. Because in the end, the power to save is not in my example. The power to bring deliverance from sin and death is not by me simply sharing my testimony, but by the testimony of Christ. Now, don't misunderstand me. Be a good example, (laughs) Be a good testimony. Share your testimony with those around you. But make sure at the same time you're proclaiming the gospel. That you're telling them the truth. To Make sure to not only live for God in the world, but to declare His truth to the world. And I say that because many times I've heard, you know, when, when you're sharing the gospel, when you're evangelizing, just, you know, just share what, what God's done in your life. Just give your testimony. But, but let me give you a caution. If that testimony is only what, 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 I was like, what life was like before Jesus and, and how I'm different now in Jesus, you're not telling them enough. They need to hear the message that brought that transformation. They need to hear the truth of how are you delivered from what you were in and, and how is it now that God has done these things in your life. They need the gospel message as well as your testimony. They need to hear that what God has done in you, but also the message that God used to transform you. You need to tell them they've been created by a good and holy God, but that they've sinned against Him and stand in judgment. You need to tell them that God has sent His Son through His love to bear that judgment upon Himself. 
to, to take that sin and the punishment, the penalty, the power of that sin on himself. And he did that on the cross. They need to hear the call to repent and place their trust in Christ. When you share your testimony, you need to also share the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, the sacrifice of Christ, the call to repentance. That makes sense? Again, I don't want you to shy away from sharing what God has done in your life. That is a very powerful and helpful illustration of the gospel. But don't neglect to teach them the gospel. Some people say, well, I just show the love of Christ in my actions, that people will see the gospel in what I do. They'll see the effects of the gospel, but they won't see the gospel. They need to hear it. It needs to be proclaimed to them. What did Romans 10, 17 say? That faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of Christ. The word of Christ. We do need to show the love of Christ in our deeds. But we also need to proclaim the power of Christ to change lives. The power of salvation is in the gospel message. Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy that proclaiming that message will come at a cost. In 2 Timothy 1.8 and also in verse 12, Paul describes how he suffered because of the gospel. And again in 2 Timothy 2 verse 3 and verse 9, he describes the hardship that he has suffered. Hardship that will come in the form of, of fatigue, of, of financial loss, of being abandoned and rejected, of suffering, persecution. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12 that indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will have a life of ease, comfort, relaxation, no troubles. I'm glad you laughed because we know that's not the case. Paul said all who desire to live godly in this life will be persecuted, will suffer hardship. And I saw that hardship in those dear Filipino pastors and what they had gone through and were going through. Many of them were laboring to the point of exhaustion. Many of them suffered persecution for their faith. One brother told me that he was planning on uh, traveling to um, the southern island of Mindanao, which there's a uh, region in that island that is a strong Muslim foothold. And his heart was to go and share the gospel to those Muslims. He told me about how I used to hate them, but now I want to share the truth of Christ with them. And he, he knows exactly what that would mean. He's got a family he's going to bring with them. Pray for that man. Another pastor shared with me that he was planning on after the training sessions going. There was a, a remote island that they had found that had no church, and they were going to go and proclaim the gospel message. But He was going to get into a boat with he and another friend and they were going to show up on this island. They had no idea what was going to happen after that. I heard story after story from these guys of hardships they faced, of sacrifices they had made, opposition that they faced from their family, from cults, from the Roman Catholic Church, from lack of funds, from lack of resources, from the great poverty that exists there. And many of these guys make hardly anything church I was at, the pastor there earned $150 a month salary. He lived above the church with his whole family. It's a very small building. That was his life. It was humbling to listen to these guys. <laughs> very humbling. Because I, you know what I realized in talking to them? How much my desire for comfort in this life, for acceptance by others, how much it caused me to be like Timothy, to shy away from proclaiming the gospel. I recall times when God has opened the door wide for me for the gospel and I didn't walk through it. I was concerned about what that other person might think of me or I, I didn't want to get into some argument. I remember one time I was with a co-worker, a, a friend of ours had died and we were talking about death and he said, well, when people die, they just cease to exist. Wide open door, right? You know what I said to him? I changed the subject. I was afraid of what he might think. Another time a family member uh, had shared that she didn't know what was going to happen to her when she died. And again, I was silent. I didn't want to have to deal with the argument and conflict that would come up in sharing the gospel. Those were some examples in my own life where my desire for acceptance, avoiding conflict, it muted my voice. Brothers and sisters, we, we all want to be liked and accepted, don't we? All of us want that. Have you let 
the desire for ease, for the, the wish for approval, blunt your message or mute your voice. Our co-workers need to hear the gospel. Our families need to hear the gospel. The people here in Burbank and in Glendale and Tahunga and Sunland and Shadow Hills and La Crescenta, Pasadena, Hollywood, North Hollywood, they need to hear the gospel. Everybody needs to hear the gospel. It's the only message that's going to give freedom and deliverance. It's the only message that has true hope. It's the only message that brings eternal life. We don't have to identify with some remote island. We don't even have to get into a canoe and, and, and take a boat somewhere. We don't have to do that because our own backyard is full of those who need to hear the gospel. Brothers and sisters, don't let the thought of rejection or having to give of your time or, or perhaps risking a promotion or even losing your job or, or being in an uncomfortable situation, don't let those fears cause you to be muted. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.12, For this reason also I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed in, and that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Again, in Romans 1.16, Paul says this, So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? Power. There it is, that word again. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Gospel is the power of God to salvation. Let us not be ashamed of it either. Let us join those, our brothers and sisters in the Philippines. Let us join our brothers and sisters here who gather here on Saturday nights at 530 to go out and proclaim that message. And if you can't do that, uh, set your alarm on your clock for 530 to start praying for them. At least do that. Participate in the gospel ministry in that way. And, and take opportunity. Take advantage of the equipping that's done here. Bob, you're going to be doing an a, a orientation here right after service, right? 1230 and WC1 over here. Orientation on a five-week evangelism class to, to be equipped to, to be able to share that message of truth and to deal with questions that may come up. If the gospel really is powerful, if, if I truly believe that it is powerful, then I will do everything I can to be equipped with it, to use it, and to wield that power in others' lives. The cross of Christ is the only hope. It's the only message that saves. It is the only message with power to transform. Brothers and sisters, let us have the same resolve that our Filipino pastor brothers did to make the gospel known. That is the first anchor we need to lay hold of and grab onto in the midst of these difficult days. The second anchor is given in 2 Timothy, the end of chapter 3, so turn there with me. That second anchor is the sufficiency of Scripture. After Paul describes the dangerous days that Timothy will face in verses 1 through 13, Paul then directs his attention to one thing and tells Timothy to stay fixed on this one thing. Look at verse 14 of chapter 3. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. In the face of persecution, in the face of, of uh, false teaching, in the face of evil and wickedness abounding. Paul says, Timothy, don't run anywhere else but here. Don't look to anything else for help and guidance and comfort and instruction but God's Word. It is the only place that you can go. Paul tells him to continue. That means to remain, abide and stay with, stick with the Scriptures. The reason he gives is twofold. One, he says that to continue in the Word because it is the Word that leads to salvation. He talks about how Timothy, who was taught the Scriptures from childhood, and the, what he knew and what he understood, the wisdom from the Word, is what brought him salvation. As Paul shared the message of Christ with him. Human wisdom doesn't save, Paul reminds. Experience won't save. Knowing creation, the knowledge of creation doesn't save. 
Only the Bible brings salvation, the message of hope. And the Bible not only brings salvation, but also brings sanctification. Notice Paul said all Scripture, every Scripture, every passage, every verse, every word is what? Inspired or literally God-breathed. Probably a better translation should be expired. God has breathed it out. It has come out from God. He's the one that has brought it forth. God is the author of His Word. He spoke it. He breathed it. And because He is the author, that means His Word is perfect, without error. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Psalm 119, verse 160 says, The sum of your word is truth. Or Jesus himself in John 17 said, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Paul goes on to say in 2 Timothy 3.16 that the word of God is profitable. That means beneficial, useful, advantageous. It's for your benefit. The scripture is useful to help you mature in Christ as it brings us instruction in the truth, as it brings conviction of sin, as it restores the sinner, brings discipline toward a righteous life. And notice what Paul says that the instruction of the word brings, that the man of God may be what? pregnant pause you should know by now when i do this what does that mean look to the verse and fill in the blank that the man of god may be adequate adequate that means to be complete capable proficient to be ready to meet any demand that comes your way listen the scripture is totally capable to lead you to holiness in every area of your life The Scripture and the Scripture alone is totally capable, able to bring you to completion, to bring you to maturity, to help you in every single area of your life to be godly and holy before God. The Bible and the Bible alone. This doctrine is called the sufficiency of Scripture. It was encouraging as I was teaching a bibliology to um, these guys when I was over there. And man, they... They didn't need to be taught that. They had a strong conviction and understanding. They relied totally on the Word. It was all they had. As they went out proclaiming the gospel and teaching, it was the book and only the book. The work of the Spirit through His Word is sufficient to conform you to the image of Christ. It is all you need. Nothing else is needed. Nothing else. Scripture is all you need to grow in godliness, to live how God desires you to live, to be able to live and do what is right to give glory to God. One man said, everything good that God expects us to do, the Scriptures equip us to do. But what do many today say about the Bible? That's an old book. It's not able to deal with the problems of modern man. Yes, it's a, it's a good spiritual resource. It's helpful devotional. It can, can encourage you at times you know, and stir your feelings. But it can't help you with how to handle stress or, or addictions or blended families or difficult bosses or strong-willed kids or the hardships you face in life. The, the Bible doesn't have enough information to help us in those areas. We need to enter the promised land of psychology and psychotherapy and sociology for the answers to those things. But what does Paul say here? When you immerse yourself in the Scripture, you will be complete, thoroughly prepared for, you know, most good works. Some of them. All of them. All of them. The Scripture is sufficient for everything you need. Do you believe that? Do you trust in God's Word? 2 Peter 1-2 says, His divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Everything we need to live a life of obedience, to live a life that pleases God, everything we need comes through the true knowledge of Him. And where do we get that true knowledge? God's Word. God's Word. What other book is going to do that? What other book is going to equip you for godliness? What other human can do that? 
What other writing can do what Hebrews 12, 4.12 claims of the Scripture? That the Word of God is, you know this, living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joint and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What other book can do that? What other book can penetrate into the soul? Bible is a living book because it is written and illuminated by a living being, the Holy Spirit of God. So many people look for something more than the Bible. They think there's got to be some experience, some teaching, some other book is needed to help. Bible's not enough. But we have to constantly remind ourselves, we don't need to look anywhere else, do we? All, all we need, all you have is right here. We need to, to know this book. We need to carefully study this book. We need to rely on this book. We need to be diligent to understand it. And some have called that kind of commitment to diligent study a Bible allotry. They say, well, you've got to be careful that you don't put the Bible on a pedestal and, and place the knowledge of the Bible above the knowledge of God. That you don't worship the Bible above worshiping God. But didn't David say in Psalm 1-2 that we're to delight, take pleasure, enjoy the law of the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 16 says, I delight in your statutes. Are we not to meditate on his word day and night? Yeah, we, we can be guilty of studying the word without engaging the heart. But that's not the Bible's fault. That's a user error. That doesn't negate the fact that you and I still need to diligently study God's word. I can't know God in any other way. I'm to love this book because of who wrote it. I want to know this book because it tells me of the author. John Piper said something to the effect of, you know, I love my eyes, not in and of themselves, but for what they allow me to see. And in the same way, I, I love this book because of who it allows me to see. You know, I think I've mentioned to you before in the past you know, about when my wife and I were dating and she would write me these little notes and stick them in my pocket or put them in various places. And when I would see the note and I'd see her handwriting on it, I, I would be eager to read it. Not because I loved the ink and the paper, but I loved the words she wrote to me. I loved her letters because I love her. She still leaves me notes sometimes. And you know, it, it was humbling to see the love those pastors had for God's Word. That they, they were convinced this is all that they needed. And so they did all they could to learn it more. And, and many of them traveled to those sessions that we had uh, by bus and by boat all night. They didn't get any sleep and they show up Monday morning ready to hear God's Word. Many of them were gave up over half a month's salary just to travel to get there, to pay for their trip. That's a love for the Scriptures. At the end of the session, I had a few Bibles that were donated to give away. They were study Bibles. And when I handed the men these Bibles, <clears throat> the look in their eyes, they had received a treasure because that study Bible was able to help open up God's Word even more to them. And they appreciated that. They appreciated that when we um, we gave a study Bible away to a woman at the uh, leadership conference that we had. Uh, and she uh, when she received that Bible, she was so excited. She was almost moved to tears and she had filled out the stuff in front. And she came up to me and said, would you sign this, Pastor Tim? I've been saving up for this and I I am so overwhelmed. Thank you. For a Bible. She was full of joy. Brothers and sisters, we need to. Remember and value God's Word. We need to treasure it above everything else. We need to depend on it. It's all that's necessary for every good work. It's only this book which brings the message of salvation. It's only this book which shows us the path to obedience. And I know for most of us this isn't a, a new message, but we need to be reminded of this constantly. That this is the only place, the only book, the only resource we have to help us with any issue that confronts us in life. It's the only book which the Holy Spirit uses to show us God. And we need to know it. We need to trust it. 
That is the second anchor, the sufficiency of this book. The third anchor to rely on in these difficult days is also the necessity to train godly leaders to know and preach this book. The Bible alone is sufficient and necessary for sanctification and salvation, Paul writes to Timothy. And then, because of that, he exhorts Timothy in the strongest possible terms in chapter 4, verse 1, when he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His coming, to preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. He says to Timothy, Timothy, this is all you've got and all you need, so preach it. Don't don't stray from that. People need to hear this and only this. In the the face of difficult days of, of false teaching, of wickedness, of opposition, of persecution, you need to proclaim this book. This charge is not only timely for Timothy, but also for us. The Bible's being dismissed as irrelevant, as insufficient, outdated, oppressive, full of errors, mythological, inadequate to really help us. This thinking has been the strategy of the evil one from day one. In fact, if you go back to Genesis, what were the first words recorded in the Bible from Satan? You remember? The first thing out of his mouth. Indeed, did God really say? What was he doing there? trying to undermine God's word. He knows that is the key and sole way to get at denying the truth, to get at people not relying on God. If I can undermine his word, if I can cause doubt, and he has been doing it ever since. That is his main activity in this world, to bring doubt and, and lack of reliance on the scripture. That it isn't reliable. Did, did God really say? Did he, did he really mean that? Is that what it says? Should you really believe that? So that's why we need men who will preach the word of God clearly and accurately. We need men who will proclaim it boldly without hesitation. We need those who will preach the whole counsel of God. Not leaving out the parts that are controversial, the parts they don't understand or want to talk about, or or the parts that just aren't encouraging. I'm going to skip that over. We need men who will open the text and explain it. We don't need those who ignore or gloss over those unfavorable passages. We, We don't need those who are just good communicators, clever speakers. We don't need skilled storytellers. We need to hear from God, not from man. That's the need of our age. We need to hear what does God have to say. We need to be corrected and exhorted and encouraged and patiently instructed from this book and this book alone. But pulpits, uh, radio programs, TV shows, books, more and more are being filled with those who are driven by what draws an audience, what draws attendance, rather than saying what God says. Pragmatism is winning out over proclamation, tickling the ears over truth, experience over doctrine, what will not offend over what God says. Brothers and sisters, the need of the hour is men of the word, The need of the hour is men like Ezra who diligently studied this book and then applied it to his own life. The need of the hour is men like Paul who boldly declared the truth no matter the consequences. The need of the hour is men like Athanasius who defended the truth without wavering. If you want to know who that is, you can ask Ed. He'll tell you. He was a a great teacher in the early 4th century who was there to defend the deity of Christ when it was most critical to defend it. And he did not back down. We need men like William Tyndale who gave their lives literally to ensure that all would hear the book and all would be able to read the book. We need men like Martin Luther who with conviction say, Here I stand, I can do no other. We need men like John Bunyan willing to go to prison rather than compromise the truth. We need men like Spurgeon who relied solely on the gospel to transform lives. We need men like Jonathan Edwards who knew the truth deeply and taught it faithfully. 
We need those who passionately desire to make Christ known. Those who love God and love His Word. Those are the kind of men I met on my trip in the Philippines. Those are the kind of men the church needs desperately. Amen? Are you praying that God would raise up such men? Are you praying for those God has raised up? Are you faithfully bringing them to the Lord in prayer? Are you praying for their integrity? Are you praying for their witness? Are you praying for their protection? Because they have large targets on their back. Because again, what is it Satan wants to do most of all in this world? Attack God's word. So if you're proclaiming it truly and accurately and with boldness, he'll go after you. So you need to pray for these guys. Pray for those men in the Philippines. Encourage them. You can encourage them not only by praying for them, but taking the time and opportunity to let those who have taught you from the Word, let them know how God has helped you through that teaching. I've personally very much appreciated the emails and the letters, the kind words that that many of you have sent to me. Just this week I saw an encouraging note on Facebook, somebody who was reflecting on the people God had used in her life to to teach the scriptures and to live it out before her. It's very encouraging to to read that. We need to support such men and we need to support those ministries which are helping to equip them. You know, our church supports several missionaries who are involved in equipping pastors. Sean Ransom in the Philippines. Brian Biedebach in Malawi, which you can hear him tonight in the great room. Tim Greist in Kenya. Nigel Shaler in New Zealand. We need to continue to support these missionaries who are involved in proclaiming the gospel and also helping to train those others to do the same and to teach the Word of God. And remember, too, that we have to recall that those pastors, the pastors and elders, those who teach, are not the only ones who need to be diligent students of the Bible, are they? You too as well, right? Need to diligently study the Word. Just like Acts 17, 11 tells us of the noble Bereans. You remember what they would do? Paul and Silas would be teaching them and it says they would carefully examine the Scriptures themselves to make sure they weren't being taught error. You need to do that. You need to help those who teach you be accountable. The more you know and understand the Word, the more you keep us on our toes. And that's important. And that's good so that we are accurately teaching, that we are diligently studying so that we may present to you what is true. You need to be diligent students of the word. You also need to do that not only because of the fact that that you need to keep us on our toes, but our pastors and elders, are they the only ones who teach? Parents, what do the scriptures say to you? Deuteronomy 6 and Psalm 78, Ephesians 6 says that actually the primary teachers of Scripture in your child's life is you. It's you. Remember the example in the beginning of uh, 2 Timothy here. Paul describes how how, uh, Lois and Eunice, Timothy's mother and grandmother, how they were uh, believers in the Lord. And then we learn here in 2 Timothy 3 how Timothy from childhood was instructed in the Scriptures. How do you think that happened? Did did toddler Timothy get up out of bed on Saturday and, and go to the Sabbath in the synagogue on his own? No, it was his faithful grandmother and his mother who instructed him in the Scripture. Parents, you are to preach the Word in your home. The church also needs clear and accurate teachers to to lead small groups, to teach in the fellowship groups, to participate in teaching in children's and youth ministry. I personally have it firsthand from both Brock and Alvin that they would love to have good teachers to serve in those ministries. Romans 15, 14 and Colossians 3, 16 actually tells us that all of us are to be teaching one another. That all of us are responsible to bring instruction into one another's lives. Because not one of us here has it all wired. There's nobody here who knows the Bible perfectly and completely and doesn't need others to come alongside them and give instruction to them. All of us are responsible. When we teach the gospel, or when we share the gospel, we're teaching God's word, aren't we? The gospel is very theological. So we need to be diligent to know the word so that as 1 Timothy 3.15 says that we are ready to make a, what is it, Bob? Ready to make a, put you on the spot, defense 
and apologetic, ready to defend the gospel and able to show from Scripture the hope that we have. The Great Commission declares that not only are we be making disciples by baptizing them, that is bringing them to conversion, but also by teaching them to obey or observe all that Christ has commanded. And that Great Commission, brothers and sisters, that's the mission statement of the church. That's our mission statement. That's our purpose. That should be our goal, is to make disciples. And we, need, we do that by relying on the power of the gospel to save. We do that by relying on the sufficiency of God's word to equip us to obey. We do that by training leaders who will proclaim the word accurately, boldly, and clearly. Those that I met on our missions trip were committed to making disciples, despite the hardship, despite the difficulty. They were very clear on their mission. And they had great conviction that the foundation of that mission was the Word of God. That's why they're so committed to be trained to accurately teach this book. Why they gave up sleep and and money and and food and comforts just to have a, a little better understanding of what God has said in His Word so that they could proclaim that to others. And as I, I thought about their focus, as I thought about their what they were centered their lives upon, I I was concerned for us. Because I know how easy it is for us to be lulled to sleep and just do church. We live in such a wealthy country that's striving for ease and, and comfort. That can dim our focus. We can get very distracted. We live in the land of entertainment. We live in the center here in Burbank of entertainment. We're a country that's consumed, fully consumed with accumulating possessions, fully dependent on what we have for ease and comfort. This nation is more concerned about the economy than morality. This country is more enamored with entertainment than with true religion. And I fear that the church's vision is becoming blurred. Saints, I fear the mission to make disciples is becoming replaced by the mission to make ourselves comfortable. I fear that the the push towards tolerance and acceptance is blunting our voice. We need to be followers of Jesus. We must not let our church fall into these pitfalls. Let not the entrapments of the world draw us away from our mission. Let, Let us never do church. Let us never do that. May we be devoted to making disciples. That's what we're all about. May we sacrifice our reputations to proclaim the gospel. May we sacrifice our time to know the word and to live it out. May we sacrifice our resources to train up godly preachers and teachers. Let's not be consumed with an inward focus. That's what kills churches. Where everything that's concerned, all we're involved in is what's going on inside these walls instead of outside. We need to wake up, brothers and sisters. There's so many needs around us. There are so many on the path to an eternity of, of torment. And yet we are distracted. We're distracted by conflict with each other. We're distracted by problems in our marriages. We're distracted by conflict with our kids. We're distracted by selfish pleasures or or wanting to have these careers and building on them and focusing our energy and efforts there. A whole host of other things that are distracting us from our mission. Every one of us I know, I have distractions. I know you have distractions. Ask the Lord to help you see those things. We need to wake up before it's too late, before our lampstand is removed. We need to to wake up and be resolved. Let Calvary Bible Church be a disciple-making church. That all of us are on that mission together. That all of us would be willing to hop in a canoe to a remote island if we had to. Let us pass on the legacy to our children. Do Do you realize what the next generation is facing here? I mean, just consider the last four to ten years. Listen to the inaugural address carefully again. The pace in which our country is plunging itself and abandoning God is scary to me. And I am fearful for our kids. How are you equipping them to be ready for that? What are you showing them in your life? 
And you who don't have kids, you're also an example. They, they know more than just their parents. We're on a mission here, folks, to make disciples, not to collect treasures. Let us work and strive for the cause of Christ so that we too could echo the words of Paul when he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Let's pray to that end. Father, your word is powerful. Your truth is powerful. Lord, forgive us for not relying on it as much as we should. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me, Lord, for being fearful, not proclaiming your message when the opportunities were there. Lord, help us, God, to be focused on you. Lord, and if there are any distractions in our lives, if there are any things that are consuming our time that don't count for eternity, Lord, make those clear to us so that we may remove them, that we may deal with them so that we could be focused on what really matters. Lord, cause us to trust in and rely on the power of your gospel, to rely on your word, that it is sufficient and all we need to, Lord, be committed to training, contributing to the training of those to preach and teach your word. God, I thank you for your kindness to us, your patience, your love, your care and concern, the fact that you've given us your book so that we might know you. What a great privilege and treasure. Lord, may your spirit work in us these truths so that we may honor your son. We pray in His name. Amen.